if we're going to work with electricity, we better darn well have an understanding of how we would define what electricity is. In this episode, we're going to discuss what electricity is and how it works. Welcome to the Electric Academy podcast. Welcome to episode one of the Electric Academy podcast. It's so awesome to be here, finally back behind the mic. For some of you, this is the second podcast of mine you've listened to. I had my Apprenticeship Matters podcast, where I went over issues for apprentices and walked through that. And in this podcast, I really hope to break down some electrical concepts and talk about them, and just to make them a little easier to understand, because electrical theory does not have to be hard. Now to get started, what I thought we would do is start out with the basics. What is electricity? So for episode one, let's talk about what electricity is. So electricity is all around us. It's powering technology like our cell phones, our computers, lights, air conditioners, heaters, Netflix. It's tough to escape in our modern world. Even when you try to escape electricity, it's still at work throughout nature. You look at the lightning in a thunderstorm to the synapses inside our body. But what exactly is electricity? It's a complicated question, and as you dig deeper and ask more questions, there really isn't a definitive answer. There's only abstract representations of how electricity interacts with our surroundings. So electricity is a natural phenomenon that occurs throughout nature, and it takes on many different forms. In this podcast, we're going to focus on current electricity. It's the stuff that powers our electronic gadgets. Our goal is to understand how electricity flows from a power source, through some wires, lighting up LEDs, spinning motors, powering our communication devices, turning on our Apple TVs that sort of thing. So electricity is briefly defined as the flow of electric charge, but there's so much more behind that simple statement. Where do the charges come from? How do we move them? Where do they move to? How does an electric charge cause mechanical motion to make or make things light up? So many questions. So to begin to explain what electricity is, we have to zoom in, way in, beyond matter and molecules to the atoms that make up everything that we interact with in life. So this podcast is going to build upon some basic understandings of physics. So if you have to kind of go back and just to get an understanding of force, energy, and atoms, you can check that stuff out on Wikipedia or anywhere in Google. So let's go atomic. So to understand the fundamentals of electricity, we have to begin by focusing in on the atoms, one of the basic building blocks of life and matter. Atoms exist in over 100 different forms as chemical elements like hydrogen, carbon, oxygen, and copper. Atom of many types can combine to make up molecules, which build the matter that we can physically see and touch. Atoms are tiny, stretching at a maximum to about 300 picometers long. That is three times 10 to the negative. Sorry, yeah, three times 10 to the negative 10 meters. That's teeny in its tininess. A copper penny, if it was actually made of 100% copper, or if they actually still made them here in Canada, they don't. We would have 3.2 times 10 to the 22 atoms. That's 32 with 21 zeros behind it of copper inside it. So even the atom isn't small enough to explain the workings of electricity. We have to dive down one more level and look at the building blocks of atoms, the protons, the neutrons, and the electrons. So an atom is built with a combination of three distinct particles. You have your electrons, your protons, and your neutrons. Each atom has a center nucleus where the protons and the neutrons are so densely packed together Surrounding the nucleus are a group of orbiting electrons. Every atom must have at least one proton in it. The number of protons in an atom is important because it defines what chemical element the atom represents. For example, an atom with just one proton is hydrogen. 
an atom with 29 protons is copper, and an atom with 94 protons, of course, is plutonium, as if you didn't know that. This, counts of, this count of protons is called the at- atom's atomic number. The proton's nucleus partner, neutrons, serve an important purpose. They keep the protons in the nucleus and determine the isotope of the atom. They're not critical in our understanding of electricity, so we're not going to talk about it. We're not even going to really worry about them or even discuss them in this podcast. Electrons are critical for the working of electrons. Electricity. Notice a common theme in their names. In its most suitable balanced state, an atom will have the same number of electrons as protons. So if you have 29 protons in your nucleus, you're going to generally have 29 protons surrounding the nucleus. The atom's electrons aren't always aren't all forever bound to the atom. The electrons in the outer orbit of the atom are called valence electrons. And with enough outside force, a valence electron can escape the orbit of the atom and become free. Free electrons allow us to move charge. Which is what electricity is all about. Now, as we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, electricity is defined as the flow of electric charge. Charge is a property of matter, just like mass, volume, or density. It's measurable. Just as you can quantify how much mass something has, you can measure how much charge it has. The key concept with charge is that it can come in two types, positive or negative. In order to make move charge, we need charge carriers, and that's where the knowledge of atomic particles, specifically electrons and protons, comes in handy. Electrons always carry a negative charge, while protons are always positively charged. Neutrons, true to their name, they're neutral. They have no charge. Both electrons and protons carry the same amount of charge, just a different type. The charge of electrons and protons is important because it provides us with the means to exert a force on them, and that's called electrostatic force. It's a cool-sounding name. Electrostatic force, also called Coulomb's law, is a force that operates between charges. It states that the charges of the same type repel each other, while charges of opposite type attract each other. Opposites attract and likes repel. It's an adage as old as time. The amount of force acting on two charges depends on how far they are away from each other. The closer two charges get, the greater the force, either pushing together or pulling away becomes. And I liken this to if you have two big Coulomb's law of electrostatic force is basically Q1 times Q2 divided by distance squared. And what that's saying is Qs are the size of charge. So if I have two big guys and they're hitting each other, they're landing big blows, you're going to have a lot of force. If I move them really close to each other, those two big guys are going to have a gigantic amount of force. If I separate them and get them further apart, they're not going to land their blows as easily. So you're not going to have as much force. And that's kind of the idea that goes behind this whole Coulomb's law of electrostatic force. So now we have all the tools to make charges flow. Electrons and atoms can act as our charge carriers because every electron carries a negative charge. If we can free an electron from an atom and move it to and force it to move, we create electricity. Now if we look at a copper atom, one of the preferred element sources of flow charge, in its balanced state, a copper has 29 protons in its nucleus and an equal number of electrons orbiting around it. Electrons orbit at varying distances from the nucleus of the atom, not too important for us as electricians to figure it out. Electrons close to the nucleus feel a much stronger attraction to the center in those distant orbits, and the outermost electrons of an atom are called the valence electrons. These require the least amount of force to be freed from an atom because they're not, they don't have as strong an attraction to the protons or to the nucleus. Using enough electrostatic force in a valence electron, either pushing it with another negative charge, or bumping it out, or attracting it with a positive charge, and we call that holes, we can eject the electron from orbit around the atom and create a free electron. 
Now, considering a copper wire, matter filled with countless copper atoms, our free electron is floating in a space between atoms. It's pulled and prodded by surrounding charges in that space. In this chaos of the free electrons, eventually find a new atom to latch onto. In doing so, the negative charge of that atom ejects another valence electrons from the atom. Now a new electron is drifting through free space looking for something to do, and it bumps into another one and frees that one, and this chain effect can continue on and on and create a flow of electrons called electric current. Now let's talk about conductivity. Some elemental types of electrons are better than others for releasing their electrons. To get the best possible electron flow, we want to use atoms that don't hold very tightly to their valence electrons. An element's conductivity measures how tightly bound an electron is to an atom. Elements with high conductivity, which have very mobile electrons, are called conductors. These are the types of materials we want to use to make wires and other components which aid in electron flow. Metals like copper, silver, and gold are usually our top choices for good conductors, and aluminum. Elements with low conductivity are called insulators. Insulators serve an important purpose. They prevent the flow of electrons. So popular insulators include glass, rubber, plastic, and air. Before we get much further, let's discuss the two forms electricity can take, static or current. In working with electronics, current electricity will be much more common, but static electricity is important to understand as well. So let's start with static electricity. Static electricity exists when there's a buildup of opposite charges on objects separated by an insulator. Static, as in at rest, electricity exists until the two groups of opposite charges can find a path between each other to balance the system out. When the charges do find a means of equalizing, a static discharge occurs. The attraction of the charges becomes so great that they can flow through even the best of insulators, through air, glass, plastic, rubber, anything. Static discharges can be harmful depending on what medium the the charges travel through and to what surfaces the charges are transferring. Now, I'm sure we all remember the times we've rubbed our feet onto the carpet and then discharged through our little sibling, right? That's what we're talking about here. Charges equalizing through an air gap can result in a visible shock as the traveling electrons collide with electrons in the air, which become excited and release energy in the form of light. One of the most dramatic examples of static discharge is lightning. When a cloud system gathers enough charge relative to either a group of clouds or to the Earth's ground, the charge will try to equalize. As a cloud discharges, massive quantities of positive or sometimes negative charges run through the air to form from ground to cloud, causing a visible effect that we're all familiar with. Now, static electricity is also familiar when we rub balloons on our heads to make our hair stand up, or when we shuffle on the floor with fuzzy slippers and shock the family cat. Accidentally, of course. Now, in each case, friction from rubbing different types of materials transfers electrons. The object losing electrons becomes positively charged, while the object gaining electrons becomes negatively charged. The two objects become attracted to each other until they can find a way to equalize. Working with electronics, we generally don't have to deal with static electricity. When we do, we're usually trying to protect our sensitive electronic components from being subjected to the static discharge. Preventative measures against static electricity include wearing those electrostatic discharge wrist straps or any special components in the circuits to protect against various high spikes of charge. Now let's talk about current electricity. Current electricity is the form of electricity which makes up our electronic gizmos and it makes them we're able to power them. This form of electricity exists when charges are able to constantly flow. As opposed to the static electricity where charges gather and then remain at rest, current electricity is dynamic. Charges are always on the move. We'll be focusing on this form of electricity throughout the rest of the podcast. Now, in order for current to flow, electricity requires a circuit. 
a closed, never-ending loop of conductive material. And we'll talk about circuits in more detail in a later podcast. A circuit could be as simple as a conductive wire connected end-to-end, but useful circuits usually contain a mix of wires and other components in which control the flow of electricity. The only rule when it comes to making circuits is that they can't have any insulating gaps in them. If you have a wire full of copper electrons and you want to induce a flow of electrons through it, all free electrons need somewhere to flow in the same general direction. Copper is a great conductor, perfect for making charges flow. If a circuit of copper wire is broken, the charges can't flow through air, which will prevent any of the charges towards the middle from going anywhere. On the other hand, if the wire were connected end-to-end, the electrons all have the neighboring atoms can all flow in the same general direction. So we now understand how electrons flow, but how do we get them flowing in the first place? And then once the electrons are flowing, how do they produce energy enough to require to illuminate bulbs or spin motors? So for that, we need to talk about the electric field. So we have a handle on electrons flowing through matter to create electricity. That's all there is to electricity. Well, almost. Now we need some sort of source to induce the flow of electrons. Most often that source of electron flow will come from an electric field. So what is field? A field is a tool we use in the model to model physical interactions which don't involve any observable contact. Fields can be seen as they don't have any phys- fields can't be seen because they don't have any physical appearance, but the effect that they have is very real. We're all subconsciously familiar with one field in particular, the Earth's gravitational field. The effect of a massive body attracting other bodies. Earth's gravitational field can be modeled with a set of vectors all pointing towards the center of the planet, regardless of where you are on the surface. You'll feel the force pushing you down towards it. The strength and intensity of the field isn't uniform at all points of the field. The further you are from the source of the field, the less the effect has. The magnitude of Earth's gravitational field decreases as you get further away from the center of the planet. As we go on to explore electric fields in particular, remember how Earth's gravitational field works. Both fields share similarities. Gravitational fields exert a force on an object of mass, and electric fields exert a force on objects of charge. So electric fields are an important tool in understanding electricity and how it begins and continues to flow. Electric fields describe the pulling or pushing force in space between charges. Compared to the Earth's gravitational field, electric charges have one major difference. While Earth's field generally only attracts other objects of mass, since everything is so significantly less massive than the Earth, electric fields push charges away just as often as they attract them. The direction of electricity, or the electric field, is always defined as a direction a positive test charge would move if it was dropped in the field. A test charge has to be infinitely small to keep its charge from influencing the field. We can begin by constructing electric fields for solitary positive-negative charges. If you dropped a positive test charge near a negative charge, the test charge would be attracted towards the negative charge. So for a single negative charge, we draw our electric field pointing inwards at all directions. At the same time, a test charge dropped near another positive charge would result in an outward repulsion, which means we draw the arrows going out of the positive charge. Electric fields provide us with the pushing force we need to induce current flow. An electric field in a circuit is like an electron pump, a large source of negative charges that propel electrons, which will flow through the circuit towards a positive lump of charges. So let's talk about energy now. When we harness electricity to power our circuits, our gizmos, and gadgets, we're really transforming energy. Electronic circuits must be able to store energy and transfer it to other forms like heat, light, or motion. The stored energy of this circuit is called the electric potential energy. Now to understand potential energy, we need to understand energy in general. 
Energy is defined as the ability of an object to do work on another object, which means moving that object some distance. Energy comes in many forms. Some we can see, like mechanical, and others we can't, like chemical or electrical. Regardless of what form it's in, energy exists in one of two states, either kinetic or potential. An object has kinetic energy when it's in motion. The amount of kinetic energy an object has depends on its mass and speed. Potential energy, on the other hand, is a stored energy. When an object is at rest, it describes how much work the object could do if it was set in motion. It's an energy we generally can't control. When an object is set in motion, its potential energy transforms into kinetic energy. Now let's go back to using gravity as an example. A bowling ball sitting motionless at the top of a tower has a lot of potential stored energy. Once dropped, the ball, pulled by the gravitational field, accelerates towards the ground. As the ball accelerates, potential energy is converted into kinetic energy. Eventually, all of the ball's energy is converted from one potential to kinetic and then passed on to whatever it hits. When the ball is on the ground, it has very low potential energy. Just like mass in a gravitational field has gravitational potential energy, charges in an electric field have an electric potential energy. A charge's electric potential energy describes how much stored energy it has when set in motion by an electric static force. That energy can become kinetic and then the charge can do some work. Like a bowling ball sitting at the top of a tower, a positive charge in close to proximity to another positive charge has high potential energy. Left free to move, the charge would be repelled away from the like charge. A positive test charge placed near a negative charge would have the low potential energy, and that's like having the bowling ball on the ground. To instill anything with potential energy, we have to do work by moving it over a distance. In the case of the bowling ball, the work comes from carrying it up 163 floors against the field of gravity. Similarly, work must be done to push a positive charge against the arrows of an electric field, either towards another positive charge or away from a negative charge. The further up the field a charge goes, the more work you have to do. Likewise, if you try to pull a negative charge away from a positive charge against an electric field, you have to do work. For any charge located in an electric field, its electric potential depends on the type, positive or negative, and the amount of charge and its position in the field. Electric potential energy is measured in units of joules. So electric potential builds up on electric potential energy to help us define how much energy is stored in electric fields. It's another concept which helps us model the behavior of electric fields. Electric potential is not the same thing as electric potential energy. At any point in an electric field, the electric potential is the amount of electric potential energy divided by the amount of charge. At that point, it takes charge quantity out of the equation and leaves us with an idea of how much potential energy specific to the area of the electric field may provide. Electric potential comes in units of joules per coulomb, and if any of that went over your head, this one term will kind of bring it back in. We actually define this as a volt. So electric potential is defined as a volt. Don't worry about the joules per coulomb. In any electric field, there are two points of electric potential that are significant interest to us. There's a point of high potential, where a positive charge would have the highest possible potential, and there's a point of low potential, where a charge would have the lowest possible potential. One of the most common terms we discuss in electricity is voltage. A voltage is a difference in potential between two points in an electric field. Voltage gives us an idea of just how much pushing force an electric field has. With potential and potential energy under our belt, we all have the ingredients necessary to make current electricity flow. And there you have it, a basic understanding or basic description of what electricity is. Again, it's nothing that you can just quickly define, as we've talked about in this episode, though quickly, 
there's just it's it can be static, it can be dynamic, it can be moving, it can just sit and do nothing until it's needed. We can control it. It's very small. It's literally subatomic. So there is a lot that goes into electricity. Next week, we will be talking about voltage, current, and resistance. So we'll get a lot more into exactly what voltage and current and the resistance of circuits are, and a little bit more of a description. I just want to give a great big shout out to uh, sparkfun.com. They actually provide a tutorial on this, and I will put this in the show notes so you can follow along. Basically, they... uh, this whole podcast has just been a recap of everything that they mentioned in that. So there'll be some more diagrams and, and drawings and everything that's in there. So you can follow along with what I've been talking about. And they use what's known as a Creative Commons license, which allows me to go ahead and just take what the great stuff that they've created and share it with you guys in a podcast form. So that's what I've done here. And I would like to just, I'm adding my own Creative Commons license to this as well, which will be... Uh, a Creative Commons by Sharealike license. If you guys have anything else that you want to see, let me know. You can reach out to me at chad at theelectricacademy.com. And I really enjoy doing these podcasts, so I would love to keep them going. Uh, Also, we've got something new coming down the pipe. It's called the Electric Academy membership. It's not out yet. It's still being developed. But if you'd like more information, I'll put a link in the show notes as well that you can click on to get on the waiting list to find out more about it. That's all I got for now. We will see you next week. Thank you so much for listening in. And again, stay classy. And if you have any other questions you need answered regarding electricity, let me know. Thanks a lot, everyone. Have a great day. Also crazy, extra-